Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince, and uh, we're going to talk about comics, specifically the DC Comics released on September 13th, 2017. If you haven't read those comics yet, please pause the podcast, read them, and then come back to us. Uh, special programming note, we're going to talk about Metal number 2, Dark Knight's Metal number 2 first. After that, we're going to hear a quick uh, 14-minute interview I did with Scott Snyder about the issue, which we're going to try and do after every issue comes out. We're going to try and have him on the podcast for a short little recap interview. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to uh, we're gonna talk about the book. We'll have a chat with Scott, and we'll come back and talk about the rest of the books, including the big Mr. Oz reveal, the next issue of Mr. Miracle, and lots, lots more. But first up is, of course, Dark Knight's Metal, number two, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Greg Capullo. We had an exclusive uh, preview of this on Multiversity, and uh, guys, this book is so insane. I love it. Yeah, it's the best. So, I guess, like, full disclosure, I can't remember, did we... When we talked with Scott and he told us about the dark side thing, that wasn't on the air, right? No, that was off the air. Okay, so yeah, so, so he he told us about that. We knew about the dark side and, baby, and we like our group chat was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but even though I knew about it, I was not prepared at all. <laughs> I still I still want that baby Bjorn. Apparently, Scott and Greg weren't allowed to do a baby Bjorn. It had to be a backpack. Yeah. That makes me so upset. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's the craziest idea. It's so much fun. But it also makes perfect sense yes. when you think about yes. it. Like, it's the best use of continuity. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it also just a perfect extension of this age-old idea that Batman is going to do the dangerous thing if he thinks that it could help him in the long run. Right. It's like it's like a mini version of Tower of Battle. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really within character. Yeah. Uh and somehow that's not the craziest thing in the issue. Oh yeah. No. This this issue arguably like completely jumped the shark. <laughs> <laughs> And and I, uh, and I don't Damian, even care. Damian Wayne, <laughs> the Fonz, right? Yeah. Yes. Hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I I say this to Scott on our chat in a little while, but this has maybe my single favorite line in a comic ever in it because it's delivered so matter of factly, and it's just so crazy. It is. I'm trying to find the exact line here. Um, here it is. Uh, you will take the Animonitor's astral brain and you will fire it through the core of the multiverse <laughs> of the Rock of Eternity and destroy the dark multiverse once and for all. <laughs> That's fucking insane, guys. As as one does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's it's so it's so crazy. This comic has everything. I know I sound like Stefan when I say that, but this comic it has, it has everything. It has a baby dark side. It, it has Superman in an oxygen mask. It has. Uh, we've got we've got the Legion of Doom headquarters, yep. um, 
and everybody in there is just being like super chill and nice. Like Vandal Savage is just like <laughs> a stand up guy. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, even even like little details, like on the very first page, there's that narration mm-hmm. from the the Journal of Carter Hall, and how you get to the end of the narration and Superman in panel essentially cuts it off. You know, yeah. even that little detail of like. Okay, there's this like predictably dry narration sort of leading you into the the meat of this story and Superman's flying in on the very first page to basically like be like enough of this, let's get to <laughs> the action, you know? Yeah. It's just little details like that that show Snyder cutting loose a little bit more. Um it's just fantastic. This is such a confident work. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, I feel like Capullo's artwork is is always reasonably confident. I feel like he's a guy who is, is very, um, very very clear about who he is as an artist. And, you know, especially if you follow him on any social media, you'll see that he has, a, you know, a fair amount of bravado there, which is great. I, I think Capullo is awesome. But I feel like Snyder, for a long time, has been um, attempting to be a more confident creator. And this is like the coming out party for that. This is such a a sure and well reasoned and just it's it's a work where you can tell the creators all believed they're doing awesome stuff. It's just so self assured. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is crazy how it pulls in threads from their entire run. Um, you know, obviously they break down like all the different metal exposures, but then you have things like the, the like face, um, like the digital masking technology and stuff. And, um, I'm sure there are like a few more things in there, but it, yeah, it, I'm, I'm amazed at like how much this works as a culmination of all that they did together. And then how well it also works as just like the most full on crisis crisis that we've had <laughs> in, in nearly like a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Batmanium, you guys. Batmanium. <laughs> yep. That's a thing that exists now. That's canon. Continuity. That's canon now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just so much fun. It, I feel like a broken record if we keep saying that, but it is just, this is the most fun an event book has been at the big two in forever. And it, and yet it feels, it feels important. Like I, I feel like sometimes people, there's this false equivalency that if you're doing something that feels really fun, it can't have much weight to it, much heft to it. And this feels yeah. both, incredibly fun and also incredibly important to what DC is trying to do. Yeah, it really does. It's, it's kind of amazing, like how well it's hitting all its beats because it is inherently very goofy and it could fall too far on like the campy side, (laughs) but it never does that, you know? Well, yeah. I I mean, mean, think about, there, there's like the scene where where Aquaman and Batman are wrestling <laughs> in the swamp, and 
they're making fish jokes at one another, essentially. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a, in because because it's, actually, it's actually Dick doing the, the wrestling. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. You're right. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Sorry, I, uh, yeah. no, but, I was just be, looking. Because Dick. Arthur says to him, like, I know you're not Bruce. Bruce would never make a fish joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I was literally just looking at a panel of Aquaman with Batman in a headlock. <laughs> not, not thinking that it was, yeah. Anyway, um, hoisted by my own petard there. Um, but uh, no, like in any other book, those jokes would come off as very lame or we'd be groaning at them. But like it fits the tone of this so well. I, like I don't know. Like it's just there's there is really a sense of fun to this that most books can't lay claim to. There was that that last splash page with Baby Darkseid like pointing at the Dark Knights. Mm-hmm. Not like that might be like my favorite little detail in the whole issue. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like something you would totally miss. But when another boy has a balloon, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, no, you know, I, when I, I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine who hasn't. I haven't been reading comics a lot lately. I was like, you have to read this book. He's like, well, what do I have to know going in? I was like, uh, everything? <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, I, I just said, you know, it's, it's just such a fun ride. I don't think, I don't think if you're not fully caught up, there's anything that's, that's too crazy in terms of continuity that you're going to totally be lost. But that said, this really is the most like comprehensive journey through DC continuity since Final Crisis, right? Maybe I mean maybe like Blackest Night two a little bit. I don't know. I I feel like Blackest Night was all about a very particular corner of DC continuity, whereas this feels like this is everything. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of touched on a lot of things just because it was about like death and like all the people who had died. So in that way you're right it was like a a very specific it was very like history centric but it was a specific theme whereas this is like a full-blown crisis yeah i always felt like blackest night was the excuse for jeff johns to write all the characters he couldn't write regularly you know like that's why you get all those like weird justice league detroit characters pop up and you know, all this other stuff happens because it's just it's the characters he couldn't touch normally. This is not Snyder being like, "Oh, I wish I was writing comics ten years earlier." This is I wish I was writing comics for the last eighty years of DC Comics. <laughs> everything is there. It's pretty awesome. It is. Is what we're saying. Yeah. Um. We uh, and even even like the. <laughs> Even the idea of, like, all these evil Batman, which I'm still not, like, I'm not 100% behind that, right? That final splat, that double-page spread is incredible. I mean, that's Capullo at his best. Yeah. And even, like, some of the, the scenes leading up to it, like, the the page, I think, right before it, where you have, um... no, it's the one right after where you have, like, the silhouetted Barbados doing the, like, welcome to the dark finger thing, uh-huh. which, like, looks like the cover 
to some metal album somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they have made the best use of the theme, you know? Yeah. They it's it's one of the like best expressions of like art of like a theme as in incorporated into the art form that I've seen from like a big two comic in maybe I mean like gosh I can't I mean ever? I can't think of anything like this that's ever been I can't remember which of them said it but somebody says in every single issue somebody is doing the metal devil horns yeah baby dark side's doing it exactly yeah it's just like hidden in there which, which is incredible yeah and yet it's and yet it just looks like a baby just like hanging out exactly you know? like yeah it's not oh it's so good <laughs> it's really really good you guys I mean, to be fair, this is DC3 catnip. Like, this is exactly the type of stuff that we're into. But, that said, this could have gone so incredibly wrong. How long have we been talking about wanting the Legion of Doom to show up to be a thing? (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I think at this point we just want any Legion, (laughs) you know? Yeah, anything with the name Legion. Yeah, we're we're, we're on board for. But, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's... and you know, one of my favorite parts about it too is that to me there is nothing that's happening here that is really undoing any continuity. That's one of my one of my I, I won't say it's a pet peeve with Johns, but I feel like what Johns was so good at doing is it, he was so good at telling his story that he would sometimes do it at the detriment of other stories. Like, you know, the idea of Parallax being the fear entity is a really cool idea that John's put into DC and Green Lantern Mythos. But, like, that kind of undoes a lot of other Parallax stories. Because it doesn't really fit when you read it that way. I feel like this doesn't do that. I feel like there's almost nothing here that says, like, oh, the stories that you read, you misunderstood, or you, you don't know them. Like, I feel like this is... It's adding so much new to the canon without taking away really anything. Yeah. And I was frankly a little worried about that because whenever you say something like, uh, you know, this is a threat that has been chasing Batman since right. the beginning of exactly. time or whatever, it, it makes you think big picture ideas that potentially change things like that. But, yeah, um, yeah it's done in such a way that... That it is and it isn't that, you know. Right. It's it's really smartly done. Oh god, what a good comic! It's very good. It is, very and good. the pacing is really solid. I feel like we are at a good place for one third of the way through the book. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The first issue ended on the, obviously the the dream reveal, which was huge. The second issue ends on we we kind of already knew about the dark Batman, right? But it mm-hmm. just even though it wasn't a surprise, it was so well done. It's still really delivered. I wonder if each issue is going to have to have this like gut punch at the end of it. Yeah, I don't know. We're in a really interesting place now because they've essentially sidelined the Trinity, you know? Yeah. And I believe Batman isn't showing back up until the Batman lost issue. 
I think that's which right. comes out after number three, right? It um, I'm not positive. It's either after Let's three see. or after four. I think it might be after four. Let's see. It comes out. I in... thought it was the halfway point. Maybe it comes out in November, so next month's uh, yeah. So it must be after three. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But still, so. Did you guys see that that creative team changed big time? No, no, it was I didn't. supposed to be Koypel and uh, Bengal and Bengal, and it's not anymore. Uh, but also, it, the book got two co-writers. It'll be co-written by. Uh, Tynan and Josh Williamson. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I, I've been reading a bunch of Snyder interviews and as we just talked to him and, uh, there was, there's a lot being said about an outsider's book. Oh yeah. And I wonder if one of those guys is going to be writing the outsider's book and the Batman lost establishes some themes for that. I could see uh, Tynan writing that, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say that, too, actually. One of the things that really has impressed me so far about this book is it's this huge event book that's obviously been planned forever, but there were some really nice moments in the book that are absolutely rebirth moments, like Clayface standing in for Batman. Like that, yeah. That's absolutely Which... a rebirth moment. You know. Which is funny because that's what I just said on the last episode regarding the um, Tom King stuff. The, yeah, yeah. Right. We re- yeah we we sneakily referenced metal before it came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fooled or not you. So Fooled you. <laughs> uh, uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, um, I just I like that, especially because there's an issue that came out this week that so is not paying attention to what else is happening in rebirth. And we'll get to that in a little while that I feel like, come on, man, if they could, if they could pay attention to rebirth while doing the biggest event they've done in years, then other writers have no excuse. Yeah. I'm interested to hear what book that is. It's so (laughs) minor. It's it's the nitpickiest thing in the world, but you know, you know, haters going to hate. So, um, Anyway, let's uh, let's take a break now. Let's uh, you're gonna hear a quick commercial, and then you're gonna hear my chat with Scott Snyder, and we'll be back in uh, about 15 minutes with the rest of our uh, reviews. So enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hey, brother. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Of course. It's been a full two weeks since we last talked. It's uh, it's due time. I know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Too long. Absolutely. So uh, I want to start with with one. I just want to read a sentence from this comic, and I want to get your reaction to it. 
because I know sure. my reaction when I read it, and I just want to hear how you how you take this in. So let me just I, w- I want to get it exactly right because it's such a beautiful turn of phrase. I wouldn't want to uh, to misuse a single word here. All right, here we go. You will take the Anti Monitor's astral brain and you will fire it through the core of the multiverse at the Rock of Eternity. <laughs> how satisfying! I knew that it- was. Good. I was. I was. Literally, I, I I knew that was going to be the sentence, and I, I I in the I had just done an interview a little while ago, and I cited that sentence as like one of my favorite lines I've ever written in my life. So I, I swear I was about to say to you, let me guess what it is, like okay. which sentence it is. But um, like how satisfying my, is it to write uh, my, that uh, sentence? Oh my God, I, that's what I was saying was it is literally one of my favorite lines I've ever written up there with, uh, "Who died and made you Batman." from Batman to Jim Gordon at the end of Super Heavy. Literally, if I had to list the five favorite things I've ever written in comics, that's one of them, because it's a perfect crystallization of what metal is about, the same way Baby Darkseid is to me, which is like, um, on the one hand, it's total sincerity, like where that plot goes with the brain is actually um, one of the most painful, you know, um, and like sincere uh, moments in the story in issue four and five, what happens with Kendra and all of that. Um, but to get there, the elements you're using are almost like, you know, uh, hyper celebratory of the ridiculousness and the joy of, of comic book storytelling. So similarly, like Dar- Baby Darkseid, it's almost like I knew that Batman would have to kidnap Darkseid or get something that would allow the Omega Beams to send him back in time. But once I saw him turned into a baby and Jeff told me that was coming, I was like, that is the most perfect thing. Because <laughs> baby Darkseid in a Bat-Bjorn with God-Wave goggles, is, this, is that's like the spirit of metal, which is, again, sort of pointing to how much fun and absurd and bonkers comics are, um, but and, and celebrating that. But using it to make something that's sincere, like in the next moment when he says, please, you know, make sure Damien turns out to be a better person than me. You know, and the story is deeply personal, the whole thing, but it's made of the stuff that's my favorite crazy stuff recombined into new kind of um, new sort of, uh, you know, um, chemistry together so that they're even wackier than you've seen them before, you know, in that regard. Uh, I would say not quite at the bonkers level of Baby Darkseid or that sentence, the idea of an element being named Batmanium is like a gloriously Silver Age moment. And, you know, we talked a little bit last time about the various metals that are part of this. How, what was the process like for you once you realized, okay, there are all these metals that are important. When did the idea of Batmanium come to you and sort of how did... How did all of that coalesce in your mind? How did you decide this was the story you were going to tell? Well, it was all the way back when we were doing like Endgame, you know, that the first first bits of it started to come to me where I was like, well, what if I did one that was like the final? Because it was right before Greg left and decided he was going to needed some time and I needed some time. And we started to see the shape of things that 50 was going to be kind of around when they were going to do Rebirth. And, you know, it was all kind of presenting itself as a, as a design that we could see. But before that, um, I had this idea that, you know, I was getting ready to say the same thing, which was let's do one last, one last out-of-control bad event. And so I was thinking of it, and I was like, well, what connects a lot of the stuff? And I'm like, I love 
the pseudoscience of, of Batman. I love, in every arc we've done something where the Dionysium has allowed Joker to pretend to be this, or, you know, the Electrum of the Owls is what brings back the talents. And in Super Heavy, <laughs> the Collider beneath Gotham that Jerry Powers is working on allows her to create these transuranic metals that wind up being a part of the the, um, the the story and wind up defeating Mr. Bloom and the penultimate, the ultimate one was this Batmanium. So this whole idea of sort of, you know, using kind of a secret periodic table or a periodic table of elements that exist just beyond the realm of science um, within the DCU felt really appropriate. So it started to be like, well, that will be the connective tissue. And I remember calling Capullo, it was like long before he, right before he, or around the time right before he left, you know, so we were still working on Super Heavy. And I was like, listen, I think I know what we can do when you come back. It's a long story. I had all this whole thing prepared to tell him where I was like the Dark Knights and the evil Batman and they're all Batman's nightmares and, you know, and uh, they're all plucked from the Dark Multiverse and what this is. And I was like, okay, so here it goes. I was like, first of all, we're going to call it metal. And he was like, I'm in, done. <laughs> I was like, well, I have a whole pitch. I have like a whole, I have like a whole thing I worked on, and he's like, fine, fine, but I'm in. And I was like, okay, okay, let's just have a drink and whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about it another time. So yeah, so it was kind of all the way back then that it kind of became clear to me. But you know, it, it, it's been such a joy to develop over the last two years. Now there are a couple little elements in this issue that I feel like. They give me a vibe of like, oh, this is something Scott loved from years ago, and here's a way to bring it in. And it's not obtrusive. Like I, One of my least favorite things in comics is when you're reading somebody's story and it feels like they're just checking off all the things that they love and they don't give really a damn about the story. They're just wanting to get their, their stuff in there. And this didn't feel like that. This felt like there's a lot of little nods to things in the past and a lot of little nods to, to classic runs. I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like the first thing that jumped out at me, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I loved the mask that Superman was wearing in space. Like I love those uh -huh. those late '80s, like post-crisis Superman that's goes exactly, in space. Dude, the reference—that's the reference I gave Greg for it. The I was cover like, I to wanted to look the, like the cover exactly. to Superman twenty-eight. Yeah, I have to see if that's the issue, but I literally went back to Superman 80 stuff with them to be like, I love that whole, because it, cause it's so human, and it allows, and it has a function, like it allows them to talk. It you know actually what I mean? Even scared me as a kid. Forever. I was like seven years old, pre... and it was, uh, it, it seemed like it, it was, it, you said it was a very human moment, it actually scared me as a kid, I was like, oh no, Superman needs this, that's, it, it, it was a real moment of me, like, uh, feeling the humanity of Superman for one of the first times. So I saw that, and I jumped out of my seat. I loved it. And there's so many cool moments Thank like you. that in here. Like the, the the Legion of Doom, you know, from the from the <laughs> Super Friends, all that stuff. But all of it feels like, it, like it's not just fan service. Like it's not just you getting in your favorite little things. So what's the line there for you? When you have one of these ideas, do you work really hard to find a place to fit it in? Or do you have a whole file of things you've tried to fit in someplace that haven't fit in yet that you're just looking to, you know, one day, one day find a poem for? Oh, dude, you don't even know. Like the, that's a great question because it is literally, it is, it is, it is a painful process to cut out the things that we, we can't use just for space because at seven issues, if you include the Batman Lost issue, which is kind of Batman Lost in the Dark Multiverse, and it's it's important to the to the six metal issues, um, the one that comes out in November, 
we have such limited space. Like, you know, I, I'm jealous when I look over at Secret Empire and that stuff, too, just for the amount of room that they, they have. As much as I knew with this, I, I was the one that pushed with Greg to keep it really short, burst, and tense because I, I didn't want people to get tired of it. You know, I was like, I can do it. We can fit it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Joker Dragons and whatever, six panel page. But the the... Um, yeah, so I mean, I can I can list a million things from Starman, for example, has a whole story we couldn't fit in. The Metal Men is something that we really wanted to include in a big way. Will Magnus and Tio Morrow, Red Tornado um, has a history we weren't able to to include, but I mean, they come back in the story. All these characters, the Challengers, come back later. But there there are other things too that we weren't able to put in that weren't even you know that aren't even mentioned from Martian Manhunter, although he has a kind of surprise thing. Um, and I'm totally spoiling everything. But the, um, no, there, believe me, there, there are so many elements and things that I wanted to bring in, not just because I love them as a kid, um, although I did, like Booster Gold, for example, was something I wanted to bring in. Captain Marvel was something I wanted to bring in in a bigger way than we're able to. But it's not – there's no restrictions. DC isn't being like, you can't do that. It's just a matter of walking a line where it doesn't become sort of, um, you know, self-indulgent. Uh, and instead, it stays very true to the story. So there isn't anything in here that didn't, you know, really, really for me make sense w for the story emotionally. Because um, ultimately, when you're dealing with so many pieces and such a bonkers – sandbox, you know, and you're going for that kind of bonkers feel, I think the biggest danger for me is having it slip off the emotional rails and mm -hmm. start to feel like, well, I'm just throwing things in to, to make you smile and to go back to your nostalgic love of certain elements like mine. So I want it to feel like, yes, there's Baby Dark Side, but there's an exact reason why that would make perfect sense for the story. Or yes, the Legion of Doom, but not only does that make sense for Vandal and for the Immortals, but there are story plans for that forward. Um, you know, not to spoil too much, but there are. So all of that stuff is, you know, really tied in. Like Mr. Terrific has a big role, Dr. Fate, Plastic Man. Those characters have, you know, roles in metal itself and then spin out into things post-metal as well. So... Yeah, it's really hard, dude. I mean, that's the that's the worst part is just being like, oh, I can't fit it. <laughs> I mean, I had something in in the next issue, <laughs> in issue three, that killed me, where I was like, oh, how can we not do that? Like, how can we not have this character have a cameo and come in? And it was literally because it was like, because this would make this seven panels, and at some point, um, you know that it's not essential. If it's not an essential beat, and you don't have the room, you don't have the room. You know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. It's that. It's trying to trying to keep stay really honest about it is a challenge because <laughs> you part of it is and I'll shut up, but like part of it is um working on something like this, it's just it reminds you of how much you love the entire toy box and you know, how much these characters meant to you growing up, how much they mean to you now and you have ideas for all of them. I, I literally have a detective chimp project I pitched um uh for next year it's really intense it's like my mr miracle it's only four issues but i was like i really want to do this i was talking to tom about it and so i was like oh you know he's in there and and i wanted to include a lot of this thing but he's literally in for one panel in issue three <laughs> where he like raises a whiskey and it's like hello and that's it you'll see <laughs> so you know it's it's that it's just you just you got to keep it emotional you got to keep it on the rails 
So that's that's the hardest part is keeping it on the emotional rails. <laughs> My last question for you is, you know, we talked about this this insane sentence about the anti-monitor brain and all that. Uh, that's obviously my like that's the the geek out super fan moment for you what's the what's the emotional heart of this issue is it that sentence with with bruce and damien with saying you know that he helps damien's better man yeah what was it, it? that's exactly the emotional heart and it's it's also when superman is talking to him in the sky because for me the story is deeply about those moments when you wake up and and you know i've been there where Every single road forward seems it's like it's absolutely going to lead to failure. And someone, a voice in your head, which is Barbatos here, and he literally gets in their head by next issue, is saying to you, you're such an idiot. Like everything you've done up to this point has only been to um, set you up for the greatest failure of your life. And there is no way forward. Every way forward is, is black. So you should never have gotten out of bed. Go back to the dark. There's nothing. There's nothing left. So it's over. Forget it. Um, and what Batman says there, you know, um, make sure that Damien turns out better than me, is the glimmer of what kind of starts to pull him through. That relationship, his love for Damien, and his relationship to Superman in particular, um, out of the heroes and and Diana too. Um, is what starts to turn the story around, you know, in issue three, four as well. So it is 100% the emotional core of the issue for me, which comes with him holding baby Darkseid in a Bjorn and Hawkman's <laughs> face and whatever in the tomb of that set. So, yes, it's like <clears throat> that is sort of metal in a, like, encompassed in a, a single scene, I suppose. That's awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I hope we can do this after the next issue, too. Oh, please. Let's absolutely do it. Yeah. And we are back. Um, I'm going to throw another spoiler warning here because we are going to spoil something pretty big right now. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already well aware of this fact. Uh, We're going to talk about Action Comics number 987. We're going to talk about the Mr. Oz reveal, the the wet fart heard around the world. Um, We, We are rendered fools again. We are. We have been jergensed. Oh, how foolish are we? We have been jergensed. Like you know what? You know what though? What? I kind of like getting jergensed. I also enjoyed this brand of jergensing. Well, let's let's talk about it in a second. Uh, this is written by Dan Jergens, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. Um, so this this issue looked really good. Let's start there. Victor Bogdanovic doing great work here. He's getting, you know, I've been on the uh, on the CBRs and the Newsaramas, and he's getting some crap <sighs> for for having replaced uh, Patch Searcher. Uh, Patch Searcher and who was the other? Uh, uh, was uh, Segovia was it? Yeah, Stephen Segovia. Yeah. Anyway, those people are nuts because. I think his art is incredible. It's so expressive. Oh, crazy expressive. It's just really good. Like, I don't even feel like that's a subjective statement. <laughs> I just I just think it's a name people don't know and replacing a name that they do know. And they're like, oh, not as good. I really think that that's part of it. But they should get to know... Bogdanovic because this art is great. 
it's so bright and fun. It looks like what a Superman book should always look like. Yeah. And I feel like he definitely has his own style, but every now and then he does something that is like a tip of the hat, whether intentionally or not, to a prior artist. There's one panel where um, Clark Kent overhears somebody saying Superman, and there's this like Frank Quitely look to him. It's like, oh my God, it's a beautiful panel. And and there's a number of things like that where it just, you know, he references little past Superman artists or just other artists in general, and it just works so, so well. He's really good. I can't imagine looking at this and and being down on this art. I just can't imagine that. No, no, it's fantastic. I uh, I love how it really is dialed up. I mean, all the way to this... Um, <laughs> this uh, uh, oil, the guy um, driving this oil tanker <laughs> who, who's drinking beer yep. while he's driving it and it's just <laughs> pouring down his chin like he's just getting so soused. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, that, and that's that's what's so great about this art. It's so, it's got so much character to it, you know? Yeah. Nothing is, nothing is dry and boring. I, I sometimes feel like I think the idea that DC has some sort of house style or something is a little oversold or overplayed. But but I would say that a lot of times their art can be extremely vanilla from like a personality standpoint. Yeah. It doesn't all look the same, but sometimes it doesn't there's not a whole lot going on apart from a dry delivery of the story, you know. And I feel like Bogdanovic is constantly filling his panels with personality beyond what's on the page. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like he, this is, you know, you brought up the, um, the, the captain of the boat and, and some of the stuff in that section is like Jurgens at his most Jurgensy. Oh, I mean, like yes. the poachers and, <laughs> The just poachers people... talking about how awful they are as people. Yeah. Like, we're we're real pieces of shit. Is basically what they're saying. But I kind of didn't mind it as much because it looked really good. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Um, it's so weird. Okay, and sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. What were you going to say? I want to talk about the most Jurgens thing, dialogue-wise, or script-wise, that has ever happened in a comic. So, the part where um, John comes into the Daily Planet office, and uh, Steve Lombard is like, I'm the best! And uh, is like, kid, I'm the best! Don't you know how uh, how best I am? And that was that was all cute, you know, whatever. And then there's this panel of Lois and Clark, like, giving a look at each other that, that's like, you know, he has no idea this is Superboy. But then but then Jurgens has to script them saying essentially that exact same thing. <laughs> like, if, they, if it was just that panel, everybody would be like, oh, I get it. That's cute. But instead it's like, if he only knew that – Lois says if he only knew. And then, and then Clark says that John has something far better to wear and already leads a life – that hasn't given him a chance to experience the incredible? Like, it's so unnecessary. 
I'm talking about him being Superboy, Lois. <laughs> exactly. In <case> you didn't... <laughs> the incredible things I'm talking about include fighting aliens, flying alongside his father, and finding out he will one day be a Teen Titan. Like, it's so... It's just, there's no need for it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Before we before we get to, you know, the big reveal and talk about how we're all just a bunch of schmucks... Um, I wanted to point out there's a fun little DC continuity thing in here, I think. Um, the oil tanker is Stag Oil, which I'm pretty sure is probably um, Stag Enterprises, Simon Stag of, like, Metamorpho. Oh, look at that. Uh, does anybody else get some serious Superman 3 vibes? I know we talk about Superman 3 a lot on this show. but <laughs> Apparently it's our favorite yeah. movie <laughs> Because in that movie, uh, when Superman goes bad, he rips a hole in an oil tanker and then eventually blows the oil back into it. Yeah. yeah. He also uh, he, he also bombs liquor like it's nothing. He does. And, and it's implied that he, uh, he takes uh, um, the not-Lex Luthor's like, uh, blonde uh, ditzy girl who was later on SNL. Uh, he takes her to the bone Victoria zone. Victoria Jackson? No. Uh, but he takes her to the bone zone. Yeah. It's, Where's that? It's strongly implied that he fucks her. Yeah. <laughs> strongly implied. She like waits for him in lingerie, like outside, outside, and then is like, "Go fuck up that oil tanker," and he's like, "You got it." And then he does, and presumably she rewards him for it with sex. Uh-huh. Man, the 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 seven year old me didn't understand that. One Let bit. me tell you, I don't know how I like intellectualized the idea of Clark Kent and Superman fighting in a junkyard when I was a little kid, but I did it somehow. Do you think number three is? Better or worse than the Quest for Peace? I think it's way better. I I think it's a way worse Superman movie, but I think that there's really. In, first of all, I think that uh, and and this has been going on around on the internet for a, a lot the last few weeks. Um, Christopher Reeve is just the best, and he's oh, such yeah. a good Clark Kent. There's a lot of good Clark Kent stuff in that movie. Uh, and did you see the gift that was going around? Yeah, exactly. Like Twitter the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Of him just like slouching and then standing up straight and smiling slightly differently and just becoming mm-hmm. Superman, yeah. Um, but there's, there's a great scene where he uh, he goes on a picnic with Lana Lang and her son, and uh, there's a thresher involved, and he eats some dog food, and I'm, I'm being I'm being serious about all of this, and uh, it's a really good scene. But uh, no, Superman for the Quest for Peace. There is some good Superman stuff in that, but it's just such a bad movie. And John Cryer is so obnoxiously John Cryer oh, the whole time. Oh yeah. Oh, Uncle Lex. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we should talk about um, the big reveal. Yeah. I. I mean, we knew that that was one of the possible options. It's Jor-El, by the way. <laughs> it's Jor-El. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, like we 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 knew all along that that was one of the possibilities. We had mentioned it before. It was maybe not our 
preferred possibility or what we thought was going to happen, but we definitely talked about it. And actually, I don't think I mind it. I f- it was going to happen sooner or later, right? I'm at, I'm at best like pretty apathetic towards it. I just feel like it was the laziest possible version of it. Yeah, but you know, did, did you guys see that uh, a Booster Gold arc was announced for this book? Yes, I did. Yeah, so Booster Gold's back. Oh, I actually did. Yeah, see that. for December. Yeah, I do yep. like when Jurgens does booster usually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he at this point he basically like owns the character. Um, but uh, but anyway, like. I like this idea that that this book pretends like it's going to have massive DC rebirth ramifications, you know, and, and it does because Mr. Oz has interacted with several other books, you know, and started back in 2014. Yes. But then at like, we're talking about the, the Mr. Mixes Pidlick stuff too. Like, we thought that was going to go in any number of directions, and at its core, it was a Superman character in a very Superman-centric story. And I feel like, you know, yeah, it could have been Ozymandias. It could have been somebody else. At the end of the day, it came back around, and it was a Superman uh, story, a Superman character. It's the heart of Superman still. And I like that. I like that. Um, I like that action continues to just bring all these elements of Superman's, uh, you know, almost century-long history, and and repurpose them for for different things. And who knows what they're going to do with it? But but I like that it didn't have to be something outside of Superman. You know, it didn't have to be something bigger. I don't disagree with that part of it. I I just think that there is, like. We're we're running out of, um, like, it's not just an old man saying this. So I, I I I hate to sound say this, but like, we're running out of so many sacred deaths. Like for years, it was the example was Bucky, right? Like Bucky is dead. They will never never bring Bucky back. And now Bucky's been back for ten years, and Jason Todd's been back forever, and you know all these other characters for whom their death defined their import in comics were just throwing those away and I feel like Jor-El is you know like the the entire reason that there is a DC comics is because Jor-El died because Jor-El had to get rid of his son he had he had to put him on that on that spaceship so I just feel like if they're going to bring Jor-El into the comics I hope that it is worthy of the 70 years of of stories that could only be told because he was dead. Well, you know it's going to be some timey-wimey BS, though, that, like, that Booster Gold is essentially going to show up and be like, this is why things are different, Superman, you know, and, like... Yeah. It's probably not going to be his Jor-El, either. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't even mean this timeline-wise, you know, there's a multiverse at play here, too. Right, yeah, yes. Um... This is not at all related to this book, but there's no better place to talk about it. Did you guys see the really interesting casting notice for the Krypton show today? 
No. I don't know who the actor is, and I don't care to know. Um, but uh, Adam Str- Adam Strange is going to be one of the stars of the show, and the idea is that he's lost in space and time and winds up on Krypton. Mm. And that makes that show far more interesting to me. Yeah, that's an odd choice to be making. <laughs> it's a very odd choice to be making. Uh, the only thing I can think of... I mean, of... the fact that the show exists is strange, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I can think of is that this is their way to connect it to the CW shows that they want to eventually. Yeah. they can have Adam Strange show up there. Can I... Uh... Can I bring up a bit of news that has nothing to do with any of this, and this is not the proper place to talk about sure. it? Sure. <laughs> Did you guys see that uh, Bleeding Cool caught wind of uh, like a, a Tom King Batman hardcover <laughs> where, where a, several instances of repetitive dialogue had been cleaned up? Yep. Well, I think we did it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> As I said on Twitter, you're welcome, world. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a feather in our cap, I think. People are listening. <laughs> People are listening. Um. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I guess just, just finishing up my point here. That's my whole thing. It's just that if you're going to bring Jor-El in, to me, it, it, this is a smaller version of the Watchmen thing. Like, if you're going to bring those characters in, you want to make sure that the story is worthy of... of of the that it's worthy of the blowing up the sandbox to get there, you know. So I just hope that this is a good Jarrell story, and it's not a story that we're going to be forgetting about anytime soon. I just hope that he can make me not like. I, I hope he can give me a good enough reason why he didn't bring back Superboy Prime for this. <laughs> <laughs> the eternal question. The it's just I, I'll never understand. All will be forgiven if he somehow makes it abundantly clear that he pronounces Krypton Krypton. <laughs> Krypton. They're gonna have to put they're gonna put the, the T O N in the lettering so close yep, together exactly, yeah. that you have to say it. <laughs> Krypton. Supposedly they told Brando that's not how it's said, and he was like, That's how I say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I say it. Uh, so yeah. Anything else to say about action? It's it's better than I hoped. As it was actually, I I really enjoyed it. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for all of the faults that we already talked about. Yeah, and and the lenticular cover is so cool. It is. Yeah, it's one of the it's best great. they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Nick Bradshaw is a treasure. Yeah. Well, that brings us to Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 14. Um, illustrated by Marcia Takara this week, which is always a pleasure, and written by the Bensons. Um, so this is the book I was referring to earlier with having no grasp on what else is happening in Rebirth. Because, so the Bat team is is trapped. So let's start off, the, this issue is about, um, there's a... Uh, there's a, apparently Helena is a school teacher, which I wasn't aware of, and she's taking her kids on a field trip, and Babs decides to stay home and be Oracle for a weekend. And that lasts about four seconds before she's Batgirl again. But um, 
but Batman's team, the detective team, is trapped in a Riddler trick where they're being drowned. And the whole team is there, Batwoman, uh, Orphan, Batman, Clayface, and Spoiler, who hasn't been a part of the team in four months, if not more. <laughs> and the, it's such a small detail, and she's so far in the background, it just pissed me, it just pissed me off that you can't... Like, some editor should have noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's not quite Homer Simpson walking uh, by the window when he's on screen, but, you know, it's... Uh... We do this every week. We, do. we just... There's so many Simpsons references. There are. Um, but I will say this. This brought in um, one of the more interesting Bat villains that we got in... Was it Batman Eternal or Batman and Robin Eternal? And originally from the cult, uh, Deacon Blackfire. Yep, that yep. was uh, that was Eternal. It was the original. Yeah, yeah, OG, yeah. Because it was uh, Ray. Fo- it was Ray Fox writing that part. I thought, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a fine throwaway issue. It was fine, and this was like. So I read. I think I read Metal, Mister Miracle. And then I went alphabetical. And so then I read Action, and then I read Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. And when I got to this book, I thought, oh, no, is this going to be like a week where I'm in such a good mood that I like every book, whether they deserve it or not? (laughs) Because I genuinely like this, even though there were parts of it that were stupid and silly and there were bad jokes. Like, there were some really bad jokes. Yes, there were. Um. And yet, I was like, I kind of wish there were more stories like this sometimes. Just throw, like you said, just a throwaway story, you know? Um, Zach, did you crack this open or no? I cracked it open, and the art was very good. <laughs> yeah, who was, who was this again? Marcia oh, Takara. Yeah, Marcia Takara. Yep, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it looked like there were interesting things happening, like, out of context, all of the, like... <laughs> period piece stuff which actually were they just at a museum they were they yeah, were essentially okay. in colonial williamsburg oh, okay i was kind of hoping that there was like some kind of like weird historical thing happening but they were taking down a confederate statue is <laughs> uh, they were doing good for them <laughs> um and superman showed up and he wagged his finger at him now 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 <laughs> <laughs> you people have no respect for the history. <laughs> P.S. Use a corpse. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> um, I will say this. I, I feel like you know, if if Blackfire had not been a part of Batman Eternal, I would have felt this is a really weird kind of throw again throwaway uh, reference of that character because you guys have read Batman the Cult, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's one of the best Batman stories of its era. It's iconic. He, it's a great villain and I feel like it's it's weird to bring him in to have like three lines and then be taken care of. Um <laughs> yeah. but obviously that wasn't the main part of the story. That was the nice little uh you know, it's a throwaway gag here. Um but yeah, super fun. I would be much more a fan of this book if there was more issues like this where there's some personality with the various team members. 
Yeah. You know, this book might benefit from just no more than two issue arcs, you know? Yeah. That that stuff with like the replacement uh Oracle. Oracle like some of it was fine, but that felt like it went on forever. It did it went on for the twelve or thirteen issues. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Uh agreed. Anything else to add? Negative. Alright, that uh leads us to that Detective Comics number nine hundred and sixty four. We get yet another Chris Sabella co-write here. Uh, Christopher Sabella and uh, James Tannen IV were the uh, writers on this, and um, Carmen Carnero was the illustrator yet again. And this is a, uh, a, a sort of a clayface and spoiler-centric issue, wrapped up a little bit of the stuff from last week with or two weeks ago rather with Anarchy, gave us more great clayface stuff. Uh, I, oh, that was yeah, I re- the best, I, best thing about this. Yeah, I really enjoyed this issue. Mm-hmm. But I'm burying... all Harper. I'm bur- as I was say, I'm burying the lead. Harper Rowe is back. Yeah. That was a surprise. It was. Um, With a really great hairdo. Yeah. I mean, she, is, she has a history of good hair. Yeah. Harper yeah. with the good hair. This, uh... This issue was really good. It was good, yeah. The the one thing that made me... Uh, this is the only negative thing I can say about this issue. Is I groaned at like how fast Stephanie fell into the arms of anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like all of a sudden they're making out. Well, that's great. I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a Steph... You know how I am. I'm a, Spo- I'm a Steph Brown fan. Spoiler horny, Vince. Ah, yeah. <laughs> There's never been a horny me. <laughs> never horny shall I be. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, no. I I thought that uh, I I maybe this is just me. I know that they have to get to a lonely place of living in two weeks, which I'm super excited about. But I feel like this could have been a three or four issue arc. That got kind of condensed into a two issue arc, um, because we had, uh, like, like to me, the anarchy reveal would have been would have been more important if it if it, there was a little bit more time there. We would have had more time with Harper, more time with Clayface. Like, I, I wanted more of all of this. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, they got a really good thing going all the way around here. Like every everything that everyone's doing is pretty compelling. Yeah, this also somewhat planted the seeds, although not directly for Stephanie's return to the team. Yes. Um. Mm-hmm. So you know, especially with with Tim coming back in just a few weeks, we're going to see her back, back as part of the team, and that's that's a very good thing. Um, yeah. It, it was cool to see this arc tie back around to the victim syndicate stuff because that was kind of like a weird... I thought that that arc ended really kind of... Um, not abruptly, but it, it, it just... 
never i didn't think that that arc really fit with everything else that they were doing agreed yeah so it's nice to see it like kind of revisited and maybe we'll get a bit more of that yeah yeah um i've said this in the past i'll say it again i hope clayface is a hero forever I'm loving the Clayface stuff. And the Clayface uh, Cassandra stuff is great, too. Oh, Cass is great. She's uh, really well-written in this series. It's It'd be real easy to screw her up, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, up next is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Number 28, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. And uh, we get some more New Gods actions here. We get some Light Ray. We get some Hal Jordan's Ghost Dad. You mean Tom Cruise? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, essentially, this is a uh, a remake of the Bill Cosby vehicle Ghost Dad starring Tom Cruise. Got it. Okay, cool. I mean, just look at that first panel where he shows up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a dead giveaway right there. Um, this issue was really weird. Yeah, it was. And for a, for a couple reasons. Like, one, I mean, just the extended, like, ghost dad thing, apropos of nothing. <laughs> yeah. Almost um, the entire issue, because it shows up on the last page again, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, like it also kind of sparks a bigger conversation that I wanted to have. And I think we'll get into it more when we get to Mr. Miracle. But, um, like Tom King has been on Twitter saying how like Mr. Miracle like ties into rebirth and metal and, um, uh, doomsday clock and how it's all like interconnected. But then also we have like this new God stuff, which is like clearly not related at all. Or, like, if it is, it's in, like, a really abstract kind of, like, meta way. Yeah. It just seems weird to be saying such things. I I mean, I think all of this could have been avoided with just an editor's note that says, like, these this story takes place before the events of Mr. Miracle number one. Yeah. All of that would... Then everything makes sense. This feels like some like countdown to Final Crisis stuff. Oh boy, it's a where where how like you know you had like that, and then you also had the the death of the New Gods book, and you have all of these like fourth world characters showing up and doing things and contradicting each other, and with like completely different like looks and styles, and it's like a smaller scale version of that. That's not a bad call. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, which which when you think about it like that, it kind of works because the way like Morrison kind of rationalized Final Crisis is that because these are all gods, it's all more about like the story and the mythology, and like it all kind of happens. But because it's it's ideas, it doesn't really matter how it's like depicted, which I kind of like. But again, I don't really think that's what they're, doing, no, what they're no. doing here, what they're trying to get at. Uh, 
there, there's also there's a moment here that tries to be really nice but comes off as super creepy. Uh, which is when um, Hal's dad is talking about the picture of him on the cockpit, and he's like, "I breathed my last breath staring at that picture." Like, you know, again, I understand it's like a touching father-son moment, but it just comes off as super creepy, especially because there's an explosion that, like, inside the explosion is their faces, and it's just, you know, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, uh, I'm gonna reference another Simpsons thing, guys. Uh, after uh, I feel like Hal at the end saying "I love you, Dad" is essentially the yelling "I love you, Doctor Zayas" at the end of this issue. Like, <laughs> I understand why That's he says a it. No, no, I understand why he says it, but there's no reason to say it in that exact moment. Like, it's just it's just getting it in because I feel like we have to have him say "I love you" someplace. Okay, he's gone. I love you. Yeah. It's rush. It's, it's right. rushing it for no good reason. There were plenty yeah. of moments in the issue where that would have made total sense, but in that one moment, it's just uh, it's just quick, quick. We have to get an "I love you" in there. So it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Doctor Zayas. I like. Yes, I like that. I hate uh, every eight by C from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Uh, <laughs> the part I was born to play. <laughs> um, I mean this. This issue has some has some decent light ray stuff. It has some mm-hmm. decent high father stuff, but it's not. I don't know. I feel like this this is a, this is a real bait and switch here, where you think you're getting a new god story, but you're really getting a ghost dad story. <laughs> Quit calling it ghost. It's dad. it's ghost dad. But it, there's no other way. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Damn it. <laughs> Leonard Part. I was just going to say that. Fuck you. You beat me to it. <laughs> Have you ever heard Bill Cosby's cover of Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band? Good God, no. He, he released a single of him singing the song. And it's, just, it's exactly what you think it would be. It was 20 years ago today! <laughs> That's exactly what it's, it's just It's just, it's... Yeah. It, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, essentially, that's what it is, yeah. But, all right, so uh, any, any other ghost... <laughs> any other ghost dad slash jello pudding pop comments? Uh, they listen to the rap music. <laughs> well, they don't know what the jazz is all about. You see, jazz is kind of like a jello pudding pop. No! Like Kodak film. Jazz is more like Kodak film. No, jazz is more like the new Coke. It'll be around forever. <laughs> uh, we are we are essentially a Simpsons podcast at this point. Yeah, this is the, the Springfield Three. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, um, we're hopping back into the microverse. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Uh, we it's got the been- Harley Quinn 25th anniversary uh, spectacular. With um, with some weird stories in it, I really thought that the um, Connor Palmiotti story was going to be the um, the Harley Ivy and Catwoman hangover. I was like fully convinced that that because there's that panel you open up to the full page spread where it's like them it's like hanging out in their suite. And I thought it was going to be them solving their own like hangover style mystery. 
Well, that would have been better than than what we got out of that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, just to let our listeners in on a little secret here, I actually, like, asked you guys to read this issue specifically, right? They did. Because I read it, and and I actually, aside from the Connor Palmiotti story, I actually liked a lot of what was in here. Every other story was actually good. Yeah. you. This book has done something that has never been done before, and that's make me like something that Chip Zdarsky wrote. I was going to ask you about that. I know you. I know you're not a fan of Chip. Yeah, I. But, but, having read this, I actually want him to write more like Batman animated series era stories. Like if they gave him Batman Adventures Rebirth mm-hmm. or something, I think that would be great. Oh would, man, I could DC snag another Marvel? <laughs> That they won't. They won't. He's doing Spider Man and other things over there. Um, yeah. Chip, I still got to give his Spider Man a shot because I'm such a Spidey guy, yeah. and maybe mm-hmm. maybe I'm coming around on him. Chip Zdarsky you know. had my favorite joke in the history of Instagram, which uh-huh. was it was a page. It, it was the last page of the novel Frankenstein, and it I saw and that. it talks yeah. about the monster walking away, and then he said, and then he turned around and said. You know, if you want to, you can just call me Frankenstein. I don't really mind. <laughs> it's like the end of the book. Just, you know, him saying that. And I love it. So, um, yeah. but yeah, you know, this was this was fine. I really enjoyed the, um, at first I was like, the Joker throwing Harley Quinn a surprise party is so dumb. But then you see that it's because Poison Ivy has poisoned him. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the the one after that, the one with Swamp Thing, was probably my favorite story in the book. Yeah, the uh, the David LaFuente yeah. drawn one. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, like somebody get LaFuente on a book on the regular here, please. Yeah. He's doing a bunch of the... Um... I want to say he might have a monthly variant gig on the G.I. Joe books, or sorry, Transformers books. Ah, um, okay. But still, that's, you know, one cover a month shouldn't preclude him from doing some DC stuff. Yeah, but Zach, you're right. I, th- that story was great, too. It's fun to see Harley bounce off of a character that she's never around. Yeah. That was a breath of fresh... I mean, the thing that's wrong with the Connor and Palmiati book at this point is that feels really played out now they've been doing the same thing for i mean they've got like the longest between them and snyder on writing batman writing some batman book at all times they've got like the longest run with a character at dc they harley quinn was not part of the initial new 52 rollout no that's true um but i don't but are you they've written if not every issue, they've been on the series consistently since it started, right? Mm-hmm. Right. They've written like over fifty issues of Harley Quinn. Wow. Yeah. And and I like I've said this before, but I've like I liked it for a while, and not but now it just feels so played out, and it's such a there's such a specific tone and 
language to that to their writing of Harley Quinn that you forget that you forget that she can be written other ways or put in different situations, you know? And I like I like having her, you know, in a story with Swamp Thing. It's it's different and she's a she's she can be a good character, you know? Yeah. That book is just so played out. And like there's still room for it, it, it this this also proves how charming the sort of Batman animated series oeuvre really is, you know? Like, yeah. It's timeless. Yeah. I I have, like, a really weird, like, relationship with the Connor Palmiotti Harley Quinn book because, like, on one hand, I totally, like, agree with you and I haven't read it consistently since, like, I, I can't even remember. But those two are like so responsible for kind of this like new, the, the like current Harley status quo. And like without that, I feel like maybe the character wouldn't be in as good of a place, you know, that's, that could be true. Yeah. They have essentially made her into DC's Deadpool. Yeah. But and, also, and all like, the good and exactly, bad. yeah, exactly, but, yeah. Right, right. I guess I was maybe like referring more toward like wholly separating her from the Joker, really. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Like, she. I mean, we still get those kinds of stories, but it's definitely not. The, it's not the thing anymore, you know? Right. Right. And I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And I, and I have to say, like, even though the Joker was in a bunch of these stories, I felt like it was, I, I really dislike when they turn Harley and the Joker into some, uh, you know, this like twisted, um, disturbing, uh, wrong love story, you know, Mm -hmm. but I like it when they can do like the Batman animated series, relatively innocent, you know, I mean, there's obviously t- twisted underpinnings to it, but but uh, surface level and played straight, it's it's just a guy and his sidekick, you know, for the most part. Yeah, and I can revisit that and appreciate it. Yeah, I felt like that that made the like Zdarsky story work so well because it kind of like put Harley in the sidekick role and let her play off Robin in a really fun way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the Joker was actually funny. Like he was doing jokes and stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah. And like some of these pinups are so good. Um, I like a Babs tar Gotham city sirens book would be like the best <laughs> thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And the the Dustin uh, Nguyen pinup looks great, mm-hmm. except that he set his cup of coffee on there and <laughs> kind of ruined part of it. But um, and we yeah. got we got a we got a pinup from uh, uh, Kamome Shirahama. She's the best too. Yeah, she's been doing like those. Um, 
birds of prey or um yeah birds of prey variants and and i like the little the, the manga turn that oh man what if we could get a new bad manga with her on it that'd be fantastic i'm let's in let's do that let's do it let's write it dc we'll do it for free <laughs> yeah and i love uh i love joe quinone is, is it is it pronounced quinone yes yeah, yeah yeah i love his art I've always loved his art. Yeah, he did that great Zatanna Black Canary OGN a few years ago. Yeah, that nobody ever talked about. I reviewed it for Multiversity. Well, you're a champ. I'm a special Brian. boy. You're the boy. You're the absolute boy. Thank you. Um, now we dive back into the microverse with Justice League of America number 14, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um... This issue ends with them finding Ray Palmer, which is significant. This, this is a big week, isn't it? It is a big week, yeah. Like the Oz reveal, the Ray Palmer return, yeah. metal. We see Mr. Uh, Lobo beating people with his own arm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, I really liked this issue. Oh, you know, I've back. been kind of like down on the book, yeah. but I liked this one. Was it because and... Lobo made a jerking off joke? Well, I mean, that's like the bread and butter. Yeah. I, I, I come for those jokes, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh boy. But no, honestly, like, my favorite part of this book was not even the, um, all of the, like, microverse stuff, but the B-plot that we've been getting with the Mike behind the mirror. Uh-huh. I just thought that was, like, some really good world building and like setting up for like future stuff. And I got really excited about that more than I have been. Cause I, I've just been like really disinterested and it was, I think, I mean, it was just like one page, right? It's how the book begins. Um, yeah. 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 That's how the book begins. And I, that one page, I was like, this is really good. I'm excited for this. I care about this. Um, but I thought that the microverse stuff was better than it has been. I definitely was like more invested in it. Um, this is some really good sci-fi. Yeah, th- this is like as as Morrison sci-fi as DC gets. Like Ryan Choi is going to shrink down to a subatomic level to speak to a sentient planet as a peer, <laughs> <laughs> and that peer like talks about, "Wow, I've never been spoken to with this much respect before." Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really well done. <laughs> this book is going for it. We, we we've established this in the past. That this book is really trying something new, and uh, trying its own thing, and it's definitely going for it. And that's a good thing. Yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel to you guys that it's both? It's both purposefully setting up things for the DCU that that are probably along the lines of editorial mandates. You know, not that not that bringing back Ray Palmer you know, isn't something that Steve Orlando totally, you know, wanted to do himself, you know, mm-hmm. like it's obviously something they wanted to accomplish with rebirth as well. And yet at the same time, if you think about the team that they've assembled and the way that these stories are playing out and how much time they're taking, by the way, they could have come out with this 
story right from the start, you know? But they're taking their time to really build something here that doesn't feel like any other Justice League book I've ever read, you know? Yeah. So it's like, to me, it, it appears on the surface as this, like, perfect mix of accomplishing important things that DC would probably want to accomplish with their second and third tier sort of Justice League characters, and yet, you know, entirely something that Steve Orlando brings himself to. Yeah. This book feels... This might be the book in all of Rebirth that feels the most like its writer. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. I could I could maybe get behind that. Well, let's all I mean, go ahead. Batman Batman feels like Tom King. Oh, that's like true. Cap cap capital letters Tom King. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, speaking of Tom King, let's talk about Mr. Miracle number 2, The Duck, The Deuce, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrards. Gerrards, right? It, it was Gerrards, Gerrards. yeah. Gerrards. Mm-hmm. Um I'm really interested to hear what you guys thought of this issue because I feel like this issue doubled down on a lot of the stuff that was in the first issue without sort of the surprise factor of the first issue, you know? Um, So what did you guys think? This is really good. I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. I, I really, really liked this a lot. I think I'm like this issue better than the first one even yeah i think i agree i was really expecting a letdown issue not that that was gonna be bad but like i said the first issue felt really different than we expected you know so i i feel like there's there's that um that pleasant surprise you get with the first issue but this issue just had so much good stuff in it yeah like yeah really really good character stuff the stuff with Orion and making them bow before him. Yeah. 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 And just and how great Garrett's like facial like expressions are in that. Just that like subtle upturns, you know, like he's frowning and then he, he doesn't even really smile. It's more like a. The, the, there, there's a sense of pride there. Yes. Yeah. Like smile, satisfaction. Yeah. 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 And it it's like not I mean it's not like a groundbreaking take for this, you know, character to, you know, ascend to the throne and kind of usurp power and abuse it, but it it the dynamic is really really interesting here, I think. Yeah, it is. And and just like I like the levity too, like the stuff with, you know, after they're done fighting all those, all those mm-hmm. battles, um, the, the fact that, you know, he's in this shower that gets him clean apparently, but like <laughs> he's, he never realizes whether the water ever turned on or not, you know? I, I think my favorite thing about this book so far is how just mundane and just normal all of the Barta scott stuff is. And when they're sleeping and he's like metron's here and she says tell him it, <laughs> tell him it's late you know yes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we have to be up so early yeah. to kill granny yeah 
Yes. And I feel yeah, like I mean, that's... Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just going to say, I just, I really love that. That's all, the, yeah. The line about, like, we have to be up so early to kill Granny. Uh, again, if if a line like that or a similar line were in Tom King's Batman, it would feel so over the top. And yet in this package, in this presentation, it's perfect, right? Yeah. So here's my my sort of big picture question about this book. It's two issues in, and we've seen two of the major characters killed off. Uh, between High Father and Granny Goodness, we've seen two of them dead. I know that this is supposed to be connected to Rebirth, but isn't this an odd way to bring the new gods in by fucking them up so badly? I, I don't know if that's really going to be... I thought about that and I, I I could see one or I could see one of two things. And the thing I immediately thought of was, well, maybe this is maybe this is a story about Scott dealing with some other demons that we're not explicitly experiencing. Okay. And you know, it's this world falling apart around him or him destroying these demons from his past in a not in a literal sense right like maybe we'll somehow find it'll all be undone by the end because it was really just an exercise in psychology or something and i'd be okay with you that know? i think i think so too the other thing i thought was and the more i thought about this the more i liked the idea maybe you know, rebirth has been a lot about. There, there've definitely been advances made in you know, bringing back um, Aqualad and keeping young Wally going forward, and bringing back Jonathan and aging him to be Superboy, and you know, prepping him for that. There've been advances made. Like it's not entirely about recapturing old glories, but. At the same time, they have been retelling a lot of the same stories or recontextualizing similar events from DC's past, right? But but then I thought, what if what if Mr. Miracle was not like New God's Rebirth, but it was like, okay, you, we've got the Kirby stories somewhere. We've got, you know, the little bits that grant morrison did and the stuff that happened um you know there have been new god stories here and there throughout the years right yeah what what if what if this story was a means to i don't think that this is ultimately going to happen because this isn't dc and marvel don't allow their comics to do this you know but what if they were like let's take out the big guns let's completely restructure you know, by putting Orion in that seat, let's completely restructure the relationship of all these characters, and then let's go forward with new gods. You know, mm-hmm. and this is the new status quo. And we're and if you want High Father and you want Granny Goodness, you've got decades of stories that I don't think that 
comic companies just don't allow that stuff to happen. You know? I think especially if that was the case, you wouldn't be seeing the story in Hal Jordan right now. Yeah, I I suspect you're right. You know, if if they were really going to go with a full on like we're going to uh, we're gonna change up the whole status quo, then I don't think you would have High Father alive in one book and dead in another. Yeah, I uh, I suspect you are entirely right. But but wouldn't it be just like such a f- fitting final tribute to Kirby on his hundredth anniversary, hundredth birthday to actually go and do something new with these characters, or just fucking kill him? End of the fourth world. Fifth world. Fifth world. Yeah. <laughs> fifth world. That's right. Sixty nine I mean, world. <laughs> nice. Morrison was teasing fifth world stuff like back in Justice JLA. Yeah, he was. Like, yeah. That's true. It's been. I was really surprised that we didn't get that out of Final Crisis, honestly. Because that seemed like the logical point to do it. But um, yeah, this book. Metal is awesome, but this may be the book I'm the most excited about right now. Just because I, I literally haven't, you know, I just don't know what it is or where it's going to go. It just, and, and I also have this kind of like weird trepidation about it too. Like, I think metal is going to be awesome no matter what. Um, and this book could just do anything. Yeah. I don't know. Um, one thing I noticed that I wanted to bring up while I was just like flipping through it here on Comixology, um, you know, like I know Marvel and DC both have experimented with like motion comic stuff with like the guided view stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this is like intentional at all, but with the nine page, like the nine panel grid stuff, when you flip through, there are some pages that do like really interesting things when you like move back and forth. Oh, really? And I wonder if, like, compositionally, like, Garrett's was thinking about that. Like, especially in the in the Orion scene, where they're at the throne, there's, like, you know, if you flip back and forth, you get scenes where, like, the characters bow. Like, you see them bowing. You, you see, like, there's one panel where Orion's expression, like, it's the exact same panel. It doesn't change. Um, there's... I, I don't know if it's intentional at all. I just notice it, and it's cool, so... Yeah. And like and like with how intentional King was with the the panel layouts in um Omega Men, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of, you know, some kind of intention there. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Anything else to say about Mr. Miracle? I'm I'm just relieved that King is writing a good book. Agreed. Maybe, I, maybe I, 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 like I know it's probably good for his um, pocketbook and things like that, and and I'm sure he gets like more benefits by doing it. But maybe I just don't want him on like a twice monthly story. You know? Yeah. Maybe I want He's... just one solid prestige type title. 
he seems like he's made to only do like 12 issue limited series <laughs> and yet he wants to do 100 pages 100 issues of batman yeah well i guess he can do whatever he wants yeah who am i but some chucklehead on the <laughs> internet exactly well that brings us to vince's favorite book new superman number 15 <laughs> written by uh Gene Lewin Yang uh illustrated by um it wasn't uh it was uh Brett Peebles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Um this issue has like the back half of this issue is pretty much a shot for shot remake of The Death of Superman. Yeah. Uh which which yep. I really enjoyed. I thought that was that was very well considered. Uh, to like a to an insane degree in some ways the the way that uh like people are positioned and all that it was it was really very clever um i don't know if if peoples is the best fit for this book we we we've been really spoiled with artists on this book yeah uh, i th- i think this i think this was a downer of an issue yeah it's it's not it's not bad it's just not for what, the art yeah it's just not what the book has been thus far I I think I think you're right that he nailed like those references and he nailed a lot of the action and stuff like that but there's just so much like weird facial work to me in this like Keenan Kenan Kenan Kong I've heard it both ways doesn't look like himself in this <laughs> like in the face and he, he looks like Keanu Reeves sometimes in this he does, yeah. Or like, he looks like a Robin, rather than <laughs> so generic know, white guy. Exactly, he does. Which is yeah, right. Which is problematic. <laughs> it's a little is, bad. Yep. I love the final page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If if the rest of the arc has that kind of um, what's what is that technique called the the dots? Pointillism. Well, there's like a name for it, though. Yeah, like, there's a name for it in comics. Um, uh, ben Day uh, Dots. Ben, ben Day Dots, yeah. If if the rest of the arc is like that, I will like it. Not to be confused with Benoit Balls. <laughs> 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 uh, I knew I could count on you, so I didn't say a word. <laughs> uh, Google that one at home, <laughs> kids. Oh. Yeah. Um. I uh. I really like the world building that's going on in this book. Still, I like the Justice League of China and the um, the Great Ten interacting. Absolutely. I don't love the fucking Suicide Squad being here. Yeah, they, they don't feel like they fit at all. No. I feel like that was a editorial mandate. Like, hey guys, uh, you know, you know who we're not doing a lot of stories about? Hmm. Suicide Squad. No one has the heart I mean, to point out about... he's in. They're in every book this month, essentially. Yeah, that. Yeah, literally everywhere. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> not, in the, not in the books I'm pulling. <laughs> 
It's Blue, Blue Beetle. That's all I read. <laughs> it's my favorite book. If... I'm Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm introducing Medicare for all. I feel like every month Dan DiDio checks in his local shop to see if they have the trade of his Outsiders run, and it's never there. <laughs> remember that, guys? I do remember. When, uh, Geoforce. Yeah, when when Markovia became allies with New Krypton. Man, that was such a crazy time. Sorry, New Krypton. Krypton. New Krypton. That sounded like Scottish. <laughs> Get in my belly, New Krypton. <laughs> oh boy. Anything else to say about uh, New Superman? Nah. It's still good, but yeah, this was a downer issue, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I like I like a lot of the concepts in it. I just think, I think the art and the inclusion... The further inclusion of the Suicide Squad just was interrupting things for me. Yeah, like all the stuff with the with E. Ching fighting his like black and white minimalist double was fun, and that that final page really. I I got to that page and I was like, oh, oh okay, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that brings us to Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 14, written by Scotty Lobdell, illustrated by Joe Bennett. Unfortunately, uh, Bennett is no Dexter Soy. This looked way more like a uh, New 52 book than the book has looked thus far. But, boy, it didn't read like one. Guys, when did Lobdell get good? I don't know. This is a great issue, guys. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah. Like... He he makes a joke that's like so on brand for us. The, the continuity joke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, has he been listening to the DC three cast? And he What's up, Scott? How says, you doing, "Okay, man? what can I do to please these?" Explosive deleted. <laughs> these good good boys. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he has. Maybe he has. And then, this and does yet, all of it. And yet that also fits with, like, Professor Pig's psychosis, you know? Because mm-hmm. he's always been one to, like, speak in riddles, and he seems to be operating on a different plane of reality sometimes. Yeah. Coming to Gotham this season. It, he, he does it another time, too, though, when... Um, there's like a line about Jason visiting the Fortress of Solitude back in Superman Annual 11, which I assume is like the the for the man who has everything issue. Yeah, I believe yeah, it, is. it is. Yeah. So like, this is in some ways the most on New 52 Scott Lobdell book. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and Bizarro is so good. He is still the Grey Hulk, but so good. <laughs> he is. What is going on with his like rib cage and abs in towards the end? Crunches, bra. Book, I guess, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, this is super fun. Yeah, I I liked this issue a lot. Agreed. All right, we're not gonna talk about Suicide Suicide Squad this week because fuck that book. Uh, so that brings us to Supergirl number thirteen, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Robson Roca. Uh, we get the sort of the beginning of the end of this the girl tomorrow arc. We um we get some more Mister Oz action here, chatting up with. Yeah, that was weird. Well, it's weird because like it's gonna be interesting in the future because that's his bro. That's literally his brother. Yeah. But here they don't want to spoil that surprise yet. So they just have him like lurking in the background. Um, we get a uh, a director Bones appearance. Oh hell yeah, Mister Bones! I'm cool with that. And uh, yeah, overall, I, I still think that this book has lost something since Brian Ching left it. Both in terms of the way it visually looks and the how invested I am in the story, but this is all pushing. This is pushing the book in the directions I want to see it going. So I'm pretty pleased about all this stuff. Did you, uh, what did you guys think of how this issue kind of wrapped up? I thought it was very, like, well, what what I immediately thought of was, especially since they mentioned the Saturn Girl stuff, it made me think, like, all right, I think there were probably some other plans for this book that didn't come to fruition. And so, like, the way that the book ended felt like a book coming to an end, like a series coming to an end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because we know that that's not happening, maybe it's just an entirely new direction that is intentional and concerted, kind of like Aquaman. Right. Yeah, it it felt like a very hard reset, and it and it happened over, like, five or six pages, you know? Frankly, I think it was needed a little bit. Like, I kind of liked get uh, Orlando kind of resetting the table and and explicitly letting us know where everybody is and what they stand for. And I feel like that was needed in some way. I needed to be reestablished in this book for sure. Yeah, I uh, I agree with all that. I'm interested to see. I know next month has uh, a, a Keenan Kong appearance, but I, I'm interested to see where the book goes from here. Um, that leads us to Superwoman number 14, written by Kay Perkins, illustrated by Stephen Scovia. We get sort of the, the wrap-up of the Smallville story, the Red K story. Um... I'm still really enjoying this book. I, I think this issue felt a little labored in times. Uh, the Maxima stuff seemed a little bit shoehorned in, but it was cool getting that like '90s era Maxima, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I had to I had to Google to even like remember anything about Maxima. And I started reading the wiki, and I was like, yes, this is, <laughs> things are flowing back to me that I have long forgotten. Because Maxima, the younger Maxima, was part of the, who wrote that second, like, half, or I guess it was actually probably the final, 
maybe quarter of the new 52 Supergirl stories? That's a great question. Uh, yeah. I don't even remember who started off writing it. It started it off was, um... with Mike Johnson and... Uh, and, like uh, and Michael Green or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but this was right when Superman, when Clark gets uh, like his his um, identity but, revealed. Was it? Mm-hmm. Bedard, was he on it that long? I don't think so. He's just one of the artists on. I mean, the it's, let's see. Yeah, but I, I remember uh... specifically all the super books kind of got shaken up at the same time, and then she went to that like that academy, which is where she and Maxima met. It looks like that was Kate Perkins and Mike Johnson together. Oh, well, there we go. That makes per- that makes perfect sense then. Yep, you're right. Yep, Kate Perkins, Supergirl number forty. Yep. Well, there you go. Man, I did not. I guess I just was so tuned out of that book by then that I don't remember any of that being a thing. She was working. Well, that is that's my selection for after uh, Legion Lost. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? No. No, we're not, we're not going to go back and read, like, the last 12 issues of <laughs> New 52 Supergirl for that. I mean, if you, it'd be interesting, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. No, this is this was good. Yeah. I will say this. We know this book is ending in just four more issues. This doesn't feel like a book that's wrapping up. Like, it's bringing in new characters and establishing new ideas. So I'm really interested to see what happens to these characters and to these stories when this book wraps up. It's bringing in another, like, mysterious person who's watching. Like, I thought, I thought like, oh, that's Oz again. <laughs> then it wasn't. Yeah. You know? As good as um, the the Perkins stuff has been, I keep thinking when I, I had interviewed Phil Jimenez when the book was brand new, and he said he had like 50 issues planned. Uh, and I'm, I'm always curious as to where he would have taken the book. Yeah, that's the thing about comics. You said it. Well, that brings us to the first metal tie-in. Uh, Gotham Resistance Part 1 in Teen Titans number 12, written by Ben Percy. Um, who illustrated this one? Uh, where are my notes here? It was uh, Mirka Andolfo. Yeah, Mirka Andolfo. And uh, this had uh, the first real look at the Batman who laughs with his. What was that? Can I say something right up front? Sure. Somebody's listening to our show again because one of the very first things that the Batman Who Laughs says is, you know that I am something twisted yep. and wrong. Yeah. That terrifies you. <laughs> Which was just, it was so twisted that I had to close the comic for a little while. <laughs> I was so scared. Take a walk around the neighborhood, breathe. Yeah, yeah, just think about my place in life and whether I want whether I want to go in this crazy, messed up journey with this Batman who's twisted. Yeah. So here's my first question for you guys. Is the crow 
bar thing clever or dumb? Or both? Oh, it's... I, I mean... So, I... It happens in, in metal, too. Yeah. At the end. So, the, like, double entendre aspect of it is a little bit less effective, I think. Um, mostly, I just hate the crowbar, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this is not a bad book. No. This is... I would I would have preferred a regular issue of Teen Titans to this though. Yes. And this reminds us why the best events don't have well why you don't in the best events you don't have to read the tie-ins. Like this yep. this is not essential metal by any means. No. Yeah, I mean this is honestly I think in some ways the best kind of tie-in because it's just oh you really like the main book, here's something else you can check out that's kind of fun and tangentially related. Right. And it is kind of fun. I mean, the the combination of characters, I think, works pretty well. It's cool seeing Percy getting to, like, write Green Arrow in one of his other books, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like this kind of, like, team that they're assembling for this arc. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it you know, when they were all standing together, um sort of at the end of the issue, I kind of thought like, ah, oh, this is like a team I can get behind because it's like a dash of Suicide Squad without the overbearing, you know. It's two members of Suicide Squad essentially playing by another book's rules instead of coming in and being like an overbearing disruption to the title. Yeah. I think Ben Percy did really well with that. I thought the pacing of this issue was really nice, the way that these characters were introduced every few pages. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, a story where characters go into a labyrinth and have to fight their way out, you know? I'm For some reason, I'm just a sucker for that. The Harley pulling um, the arrows out was pretty great. Yeah! <laughs> that was... Oh, what a great like setup and then to like knock it down perfectly like that. That's yeah, that was great. Um yeah. there's a lot of fun to be had here, but you're right, like very inconsequential and and I have to say that like I'm really enjoying Ben per- both of Ben Percy's books, Green Arrow and Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. But this issue in trying to introduce all these different characters and make them come together it did he did fall back on some of his very like hokey i guess like all like the you know sort of like the overwritten kind of stuff that he does sometimes i'm thinking about like did you ever read his first green arrow run in the new 52 like the first part of it yeah it was so overwritten and hokey and trying to make like green arrow dark and twisted. And I felt that coming back with the, the, the Batman who laughs. Man, I, I totally forgot that that happened. Oh yeah. 
He's only that he, was like the DCU stuff, right? Yeah, he's only and, one oh, yeah. of like three or four people who stuck on the book post rebirth. Like uh, Abnett stuck on Aquaman, Hersey stuck on Green Arrow, um, yeah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anything else to add about the issue? Um, no, I think I liked it more than I kind of expected to, I think. And I'm really excited for the next part in Nightwing. I think that will be cool. Yeah. Because as far as I know, that's still Seeley writing it. I believe so. Mm, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, that brings us over to The Flash, number 30, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Neil Googe. We googed again. We got so googed all over. We did get googed all over. Um, I I think googe is great. So I really enjoyed this book visually, uh, this issue. Even if Barry didn't look like Barry that much facially. Barry looked like somebody, and it was really bothering me, who, like, I'm talking about, like, a celebrity. He kind of looks a little bit... Like, um, is it Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy? Oh, I could oh, see that. that. That might be it. Yeah. Which is a reference that, like, like I haven't seen all those movies, and, mm-hmm. like, I, I know him by name, and I know what he looks like, but I would never, I would never deliberately make that reference. Yeah. There but are a couple I, panels where I can, like, really see it. I think you got it, though. Like, I think subconsciously, even though I'm not all that familiar with him, I think that's what I was thinking in my subconscious. And that really put, like, when Barry was kind of acting like an a-hole through part of this, mm-hmm. that really made it worse for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is that is definitely who I was thinking of. Oh, my God. I'm... I'm signing off, guys. <laughs> just, just two more. Come on, pal. We can power through. I I don't. Oh, this is a hot take, but I wasn't all that into this issue. Now Barry was real grumpy, and I like dark, like evil power arcs are not always great. I think this had a couple of really nice moments in it. I liked the conversation between Barry and the uh, his coworker about her sister's suicide. Uh, that was a nice character moment. Um, and I think the... Uh, I always like seeing superheroes being a detective and working through things. So I, I enjoyed that part of it. But I'm with you guys. This is... Uh, I'm ready for a regular Flash story again. Yeah. Did did either of you feel like the, the villain new villain just like kind of came out of nowhere at all just like yeah i <laughs> and he's like he's like he's like twisted carnage he's like carnage from uh... yes you're right <laughs> he's basically just carnage does that make oh, barry god. venom at this point yeah actually oh, this is oh my god dude this is big the, on that this is the black suit Okay, all right. I, I like it a little it. bit better now, but I mean, I still don't love it. But 
that was a line from Spider-Man Three. In case <laughs> when, when he says when he says dig on this, and uh, I didn't catch that, that at all. I. But good job. The only line you, I, the only line I remember from Spider-Man Three is uh, "sassy walk" <laughs> slash dance. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember. Uh, how's the pie, sir? <laughs> Why do you know that? I don't think I, I remember a single line of dialogue from that film. You know what I'm talking about, though. Like when when Harry at when uh, James Franco is sitting there yes. at the restaurant, yeah. he, he's basically stolen Mary Jane, I think, at that point, and Peters gets all mad at him and then storms off or whatever. And he, the waitress comes by and he, she's like, "How's the pie?" And he's like in the middle of chewing yeah. it, and he's like, "Wonderful" or something like that. <laughs> And he's just got this, like, shit-eating James Franco grin on his face. Here are things I remember about Spider-Man 3. I remember actually really liking the first trailer where Eddie Brock is praying and being like, oh, wow, that could be an interesting take on the character, and then being totally disappointed. I remember Thomas Hayden Church just being like, I'm not a bad guy a couple of times. I remember that walk-slash-dance scene. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Only saw it once. Uh, yeah, well. He, uh... Oh, he sang so good. <laughs> that's what he's saying. So good. Oh, man. How is the pie, sir? So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I would have really respected Sam Raimi's choices if it was just like four minutes of him just saying so good over and over again. <laughs> you, you know there's out. Oh, yes, there are. It's so good! What's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a story, Brian? Yeah. Spider-Man 3, not at all related to The Flash. Alright, that brings us to Titans number 15, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Brett Booth. Um, so, this is the ultimate example of if this book were illustrated by anybody else, this issue yep. would have been much more effective. Oh, this this is this is so my shit, if it's just drawn by somebody else. Yeah. Just this, like, just the, the high young adult drama. I'm there for it. I figured out who Brett Booth's Wally looks like. Oh boy. Brett Booth's Wally looks like Ralph Dibney. <laughs> and I think that's You're... because Ralph Dibney's face is always slightly extending into weird directions because he's an elongated man. And <laughs> Brett Booth just can't consistently draw Wally West, so it's this it's the stretchy it's... pizza. Effect. Exactly. I was just gonna it's gonna be so weird when it's revealed that the pizza was Ralph all this whole time. <laughs> Remember how they've actually all been like it's been treated with um what's the that manium drinks gold uh, oh. gold uh gingold 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 yeah everything has been treated with gingold <laughs> how else does the pizza stretch that much remember how right. in, in the new fifty two secret six he was uh who was he again oh god. No. Yeah, like there, there was like a bruiser character in the New Fifty Two. Like, remember there was that weird Gail Simone Secret Six. Yeah, there was like uh, Ralph Dibney was one of the characters in that. 
Uh-huh. I, I totally forgot about that, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Brett Booth fucked this issue up big time. <laughs> That's harsh. Every page, there is something really that doesn't work. You're you're not wrong. But Specifically, yeah. the, the, there's that scene where... Um, uh, so Roy has the arrow pointed at Dick, and then Wally runs in like in front of him to be like, "Whoa, don't do that. We're buds." And the way that Booth draws Wally is just the worst example of like superhero posing you could imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like mid lunge. <laughs> Um. So, what did you guys think of the uh, the 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 thing where Dick like realizes he was a secret agent and <laughs> was kind of fooling everybody? It felt a little bit cheap, but it worked. Oh, it's it's classic it, it's classic super dickery, but it's in the way that you know it has to be done. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't have a lot to say about this issue. It was I don't know. Uh Brett Booth is drawing the Booster Gold arc in Action Comics. No, he's yes, not. Yes, he is. So, I am hoping that means that we're getting somebody else on this book permanently. Oh, man. Why 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 you got to do booster dirty like that well look i i do have a very serious question for you is there any character in the history of the dc universe who you'd be more sure likes rubbery pizza than booster gold <laughs> um why isn't on on that note why isn't brett booth drawing like batman ninja turtles crossovers he could draw. He could draw. Because how would dude. Freddie Williams the second feed his family? Draw. <laughs> um, hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't have anything funny to say. Um. So we should probably talk about the end of this issue, where it appears, and I'm putting that in, in the largest quotation marks I can find, that Wally dies at the end of this issue. Yeah. That he, he goes so fast, he brings Dick back in time and saves his life and has a heart attack and goes bye-bye. Now, two things to say here. While he's not dead, there's no way they bring him back for 15 issues. Oh, of course. Not a thing. But And secondly, um, Vince, you called this book like high drama or melodrama. I think that's perfect. This is as close to a superhero soap opera as we're going to get. So I wouldn't be surprised if he is presented as dead for a while to like keep up that ruse, but we'll be back much like on a soap opera. Yeah. Sure, I could see that. Sort of a sort of a uh Harper Row situation. Yeah. She's just gone for a while. Yeah, sure. while he died on the way back to his home planet. Exactly. Exactly. All right, that brings us to our final issue of the night, Wonder Woman number 30, written by Shea Fontana, illustrated by uh, David Messina. It is David Messina, right? 
Yes. Okay. Um, this is the conclusion of Shea Fontana's five-issue run as uh, writer of the book. And uh, I still like this concept of Wonder Woman's blood possibly being a, a key to, to solving disease and etc. But I really, I have to say, I was very excited about Shea Fontana writing this book. Five issues in, I'm not so excited about her writing this book. I actually really liked this issue a lot. Really? Yeah, I thought, I thought, like, I wasn't, I kind of was like you. I liked that aspect of this, this arc, but I didn't think that the arc itself was that great, but I felt like this issue really stuck the landing. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I, I think two weeks ago I said something like uh, every single issue that she's written has been significantly better than the one that came before. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's still true. I felt um, like last issue was much better than this issue. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I agree I, with Zach. I think it stuck the landing in a way that was very Wonder Woman. Now, my opinion on this arc or this story is that it's such a clear placeholder with no extra ramifications or anything that it might as well have been in a book called, oh, I don't know, Sensation Comics or something that runs alongside of <laughs> the regular ongoing Wonder Woman title. That would be nice if there were such a thing. Um, so in that regard, like it feels it feels lesser than Rucka's run, and it probably is going to feel lesser than Robinson's run. Whether whether I actually end up liking what Robinson does or not, this is just going to feel like such a throwaway. But as like a standalone, like almost like digital first style story that doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, I ended up liking this in the end quite a bit. Maybe it was that um, I I had I kind of read things in a different order this week, and I read this right after Mister Miracle this week, and I just felt like oh this is this is not great. Um, I guess it just felt like it was overwritten in parts. It felt like it was, I don't know. I loved the concept so much. I wanted there to be an interesting application of that concept and it wasn't, it turned into a pretty standard comic book. Yeah. And they did, they did resolve it pretty quickly. Yeah. Like they introduced the idea essentially in the last issue, right? And it was resolved, like... Halfway through this issue, yeah. Yeah, which... Yes. But I still felt like the soul of Wonder Woman was... Like, I think Shea Fontana writes a really good Wonder Woman as a character. And I feel like... Yeah, I can agree with that. I feel like I can see this Wonder Woman... Like I said before, I could really see a sensation comics with stories like this, with maybe revolving creative teams, just doing stories like this that exemplify who Wonder Woman is, but don't necessarily have these major impact ramifications on everything else going on. 
And in that context, I think this really works. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sure. This, um, I think this will like read really well in a trade. Um, I think, I, I think that I've, I will come away from this arc thinking like pretty fondly of it. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. We uh, and James Robinson next. Time. Yes, James Robinson next time. Yes, absolutely. Um, trying to get him on the podcast. We'll see if it oh happens. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. As always, we have a lot of fun doing this show, and we really appreciate you checking it out and uh, tweeting at us too, which you can do uh, to all of us individually. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, do we know what's coming out next week? Next week is a uh, it's another Batman week. We get, a, we get the the Red Death issue. Yep, yep we get the, the... the Josh Williamson. Yeah. DGN and Menico. DGN and Menico. And we get Wonder Woman Conan. Are we going to... Let's re- let's read number. Yeah, one. Yeah, well, I think we should read all the number ones that, that come out in those. Like yeah. next month, we have uh, Betty and Veronica and Harley and uh, Ivy. Like all, sure. all those number ones are worth checking out. Why the hell? Not? Yeah. And we've got Bug and we've got Wildstorm. Oh, oh man, yeah. yeah, it's a big week. We get another not Tomasi Gleason Superman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Do we get part yeah. two of the Gotham Resistance as well? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. Nightwing, yeah. right? Yep. Another really, really big week. Yep. So read along with us, and um, we're here for you guys. We're your, we're your podcast pals. We are. You can cry on our shoulders. Absolutely. We share in your joy and pain. Could you loan us a few bucks? Brother, could you spare two dimes? <laughs> Brother from another series. Good night. <laughs> Why does he like us so much? <laughs> well, you know why? Honestly, slobbing his knob. <laughs> <laughs>